Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany. My guest today is Richard, Dr. Richard Howard. And Dr. Howard is a doctor at the VA hospital here in Albany. And here he's here to talk about COVID-19 and the VA hospital. So, Dr. Howard, how, how are you? I'm very well. How are you? Oh, great. Good, good, good. So, um, you know, I, I'm sure it has been stressful dealing with the coronavirus and working at the VA. Am I correct? It has been, although we have been very fortunate and we've had a wonderful team response to the um, COVID virus pandemic. Uh, As you may be aware, I'm the chief of staff at the VA hospital here in Albany, which means that I'm the individual responsible for most of the uh, physician and clinical activity that happens in the hospital, Uh, although I share that responsibility, obviously, with uh, our chief nurse and our director and the associate director as well. But our experience in Albany uh, has been uh, stressful, but fortunately, we've had very few uh, bad outcomes. Are are people, relatives and friends of the people that are in the hospital, are they allowed to go visit now, or is there still a prohibition on uh, visitation? There is still a prohibition on visitation. The VA nationally recognized very early, and I think it would be fair to say that we recognized it maybe a couple of weeks earlier than a lot of the other community uh, agents did, that the nursing home population was at extremely high risk from this pandemic. And so beginning in early March, we instituted a policy of careful screening of all of our employees who work on the CLC, as well as prohibiting visitation. And that's still in in force, right? Yes, we make exceptions to the rule for end-of-life situations so that loved ones can be with their Uh, family member if there's an end-of-life situation. We also make exceptions for some situations where the individual requires the assistance of a family member or someone like that to understand what is going on. Uh, But for the most part, that policy is still in place. We are actively working on a policy to begin to carefully allow people to come back to visit their loved ones, but that has Mm -hmm. not been approved at the national level yet. So has there been any any known cases of COVID-19 in the uh, Albany VA? We have had cases over the last seven months. Uh, 
we've been fortunate that we have not had as many as the rest of the community, uh, and we have not had an active case for the last couple of weeks, and we haven't had any mortalities or, or patients die from it in several months. So um, give us a quick overview of the VA. Uh, you know, people know that uh, veterans go there, but what services do you provide? The Stratton VA is a what is called in the VA vocabulary a 1C facility which means that we're a referral center with a very deep level of subspecialty care available. We have an intensive care unit. We have most of the medical and surgical specialties available for our inpatient unit. We provide a very large uh, and robust mental health uh, service, both inpatient mental health and a very large outpatient mental health capability with psychiatrists, psychologists, and social workers who do mental health practice. And as I mentioned, we have the Community Living Center, which provides long-term care for elderly and disabled veterans. So when did you realize when did you personally realize that this was going to be a problem? I became aware that it was likely to be a big problem in early, late January or early February from reading medical journals and from talking to friends in various parts of the country where things started. The VA recognized it in mid-February, and on the 6th of March, we stood up our Incident Command Center, which is the VA's mechanism on the local level of changing everything we do to a more crisis mode kind of situation. We didn't see a large number of patients at that point, but we were aware of what was going on in New York City at the time. And as a part of our response to that, we changed dramatically how we did business. And and what you're experiencing here in Albany, it's fair to say this is happening at all VA hospitals across the country, right? Yes, the VA is the largest integrated healthcare system in the country. And for the most part, when something like this happens, there's a very robust national response that then gets passed along to the local hospitals whose responsibility is to provide the care and to institute those policies. We've had a lot of help from the national and the state level of the VA to make sure that we had sufficient supplies, sufficient testing capability, and all of the information we needed to be able to take care of our veterans. Now, when you go to work, 
you have to take the precautions of wearing the mask and stuff. Am I correct? We have a universal masking policy in place at the VA, which means that anybody who is in the building needs to be wearing a face covering. We also screen all employees and visitors, uh, contractors, or people coming into the building to do work. Uh, We screen them for travel history and symptoms of disease, as well as their temperature when they're checked in. And while we're involved in patient care, we wear masks at all times. We wear eye protection at all times. And if somebody has a known uh, coronavirus illness, then we wear additional protective equipment. Why do you say eye protective? Uh, I've never heard of that. Why? There is some evidence because the major mode of transmission of the coronavirus is through small droplets of Right. Liquid that are expelled when people talk or cough or sneeze, and those hang suspended in the air. And there's pretty good evidence to suggest that there is a risk if you have exposure to your eyes of those droplets of catching the disease. That isn't a huge risk in normal daily activity outside of a healthcare environment. But in a healthcare environment where we are in close contact with patients, we take that extra precaution of wearing eye protection when we're taking care of veterans. Uh, what's the size of the VA in Albany compared to other VA hospitals across the country? We are a smaller hospital than many, but We have very deep services here in Albany. Our bed capacity is, as I mentioned, we have 50 beds in our community living center. We have about 10 to, on any given day, 10 to 15 um, mental health inpatients. And then we also have 55 acute care beds for for inpatient care, like a traditional hospital. For the 50, for the 50 patients that, you know, are housed at the VA, is it fair to say that a good majority of them possibly are from the Vietnam War era? Of the community living center patients, the uh, majority of those patients are Vietnam-era patients, yes. Now, what what has the reaction been to the patients that are there on a permanent basis? Are they frightened? Are they worried? Are they really upset about it? What's the general reaction of the patients? I think their reaction is similar to that of all of us, we are frustrated, we're worried, we uh, are all perhaps a little fearful, we're uh, a little depressed that it doesn't seem that this is going to go away anytime soon. But I think they're also very 
grateful to be in an environment where people are caring for them in a very attentive and scientific and loving way. We have a staff on our community living center who are really amazing people who give their heart and soul to taking care of these veterans on a long-term basis. They know them well. They are working with them for years in some cases and uh, have very deep and abiding passion for taking care of these veterans. When you when you're at work and you're dealing with the with the uh, people who have have to have long term care, do you do you personally talk to the patients about the uh, about COVID nineteen? What your beliefs are, you know, what the prognosis is. We are always very honest with our patients, both in the community living center and in the acute care setting and in the outpatient setting. We share with them what we know to be the facts. We share with them the best scientific evidence that we have to understand the situation, the prognosis, the risks associated with the disease itself. And I find, and I think we find as a general rule, that facts and science and Clear communication are the most effective ways to protect people from this disease. So this started at more or less at the beginning of the year, and I was speaking to a friend of mine yesterday who comes from France, and she said it's spiking all over France. It's spiking all over Europe. We we hear of it spiking in the in the United States. From your perspective, what you see and what you read, how long do you think this will last? Oh, I wish I had that crystal ball. Um, <laughs> I think it is probably measured in months to a couple of years before we're able to get a hold you know, really have um, control of the situation. Uh I don't think it's ever going to go away completely. I think that it may well get to the point where it is a background, low-grade thing that we have learned to live with. Uh, I think that if and when a vaccine becomes available, it will be extraordinarily important for the public to embrace the vaccine and make use of it. Uh, but I I really can't predict the future. You know, you mentioned you mentioned the good point about a vaccine. And I know that the the virus itself mutates itself quite a bit. So what might work today might not work tomorrow. Um, so basically, is it safe? Is a vaccine safe? Yes. Is that the question you're yes. asking? Yes. I, I'm um, asking because I'm asking because you know, 
if if the if the virus mutates as much as they say it does, then I I believe and I might be wrong, I'm just a lay person, that if it mutates the vaccine might be ineffective. There are some interesting things about vaccine development that speak to what you're concerned about. The coronavirus that is affecting us has both protein and uh, DNA or RNA components to it, and the vaccine developers are targeting both of those avenues. I think that what will come out of this eventually is vaccine that targets multiple areas of the virus. And I think it may well be the case, like influenza, that the mutation of the virus over time means that we need to modify the vaccine over time and that we as people will have to have the vaccine given to us more than once in our lifetime. Some viruses, like the polio virus, don't mutate particularly often. And so once you've been vaccinated against polio, you're pretty much set for the rest of your life. But influenza is a virus that mutates yearly. And so that's why we have this big campaign every year for people to get their flu shot is because the vaccine is targeted at the virus as it has mutated since the year before. I think we will probably be in that situation with the coronavirus where we have to be revaccinated every so often as the virus changes and the vaccine changes with it. Did you see this coming? <laughs> Did I see this coming? No. Yeah. I'm not that smart. Hello? We've had some Hello? indications over time. Yes, I'm still here. Uh-huh. We've had okay. some, some indications over time that there is this kind of risk. The SARS epidemic a few years ago um, right. is an example of a virus that was new to human beings. We were very fortunate with that in that it is a much more uh, lethal virus, and so it was much easier to identify, contain, uh, and in large part eradicate than this virus is. Mm. So, you know, health care workers, I've got to hand it to you guys, you place your life on the line every day um, when you go into your place of employment. Do you think that the majority of people in this country realize the sacrifices that the health care uh, practitioners are making? I think that we have very significant public support. We get frequent um supporting letters and thank yous and so on. Uh, I don't know if you've seen as you drive along New Scotland Avenue in Albany that 
There are huge signs outside of all three of the major hospitals, the VA, Albany Medical Center, and St. Peter's, that say, thank you, healthcare workers. Those were not put up by the hospitals. Those were put up by people in the community uh, expressing their respect and appreciation for the people who do this work. You know, our our society has been turned upside down with people getting sick, with business closing, with people unemployed. Suddenly, it just happened at the beginning of the year. Um, Do you think everything, do you think we are in what's known as the new normal Uh the the way of life at the end of um, 2019, do you think that's just a memory or do you think it'll return to the way it was before? I don't think it will ever return to as if nothing had happened. I think that there are many ways in which our society will change as a result of this, our concepts of how to run schools and universities, I think, will remain different from what it was in 2019. Our concepts of what constitutes good architecture will change, that the idea that um, small spaces that are crowded and poorly ventilated are okay, I think, will go away. Uh, One of the things that we did early on at the VA was we looked at the entire ventilation system in the hospital and made substantial changes to it to improve the ventilation because we learned early on in this pandemic that good ventilation indoors is key to mitigating the severity or the risk involved with this pandemic. I think those are a couple of areas that uh, the change is real and will be long-lasting. Whether or not we'll ever get back to the point of stadiums packed with people at a rock concert or stadiums packed with people at a football game, clear to me. Uh, I know that I personally would not go back to that environment in the current situation unless there was a very significant change in the pandemic. And do you see that happening anytime soon? I don't. I think that we're going to be in largely the same place six months or a year from now that we are now. We're very fortunate in New York State in that the government response and the response of the community has been to embrace the measures that are necessary to mitigate this so that in upstate New York, we have a community prevalence rate that is uh, active infected individuals of something around 1% that still leaves us with people getting sick and some people dying from this disease, but it's a much safer environment than other places where they haven't embraced social distancing and universal mask wearing and good hygiene. 
<clears throat> where crowds of people still gather without regard for those things, where the community prevalence is much higher. And these are the areas that we see spikes in. You know, the, the population at large has um, is becoming accustomed to what's going on. Do you see many changes in the mindset of your patients at the VA? What I see in my patients at the VA is a willingness and almost an earnestness of acceptance of the changes that have occurred, the the willingness to uh, wear masks, the willingness to accept medical care uh, over a video link instead of having to come to the hospital and sit down face-to-face with your physician. One of the things we've learned in our experience with this pandemic is that a very large part of what we do in modern healthcare can be accomplished with technology over a video link so that we do now a significant portion of our outpatient care in particular by video link to a patient so the patient doesn't have to come to the hospital or to the clinic. The doctor Mm -hmm. doesn't have to even necessarily go to the VA hospital The doctor can be sitting in his or her home office. The patient can be sitting in his or her home. And the same level of health care can be achieved without travel and without the risk of mutual cross-infection. When people think about this and they think of of nursing homes, they think it might be an unsafe place. Is there a difference between a nursing home and long-term care at the VA? We don't use the term nursing home, but it is largely the same kind of environment. The difference, I think, is that um, the VA is committed first and foremost to excellent care, and we do that while being fiscally responsible, but we try very hard not to let concerns about reimbursement make any difference in how we do our business. Mm -hmm. Um, That's very much harder in the private sector because it is largely uh, a matter of having to balance those competing interests. Uh, I think that the vast majority of uh, long-term care facilities uh, balance that very well and provide excellent care, but it's an inherent tension. Now, what's the uh, range in which you accept patients? We're upstate New York. How far do you reach? Do you reach the entire upstate area? Um, exactly. There are a number of hospitals and community living centers in upstate New York that the VA runs. The Stratton VA, the one in Albany, uh, our catchment area is basically from uh, Kingston up to our south 
as far west as about Utica, as far okay. east as the Massachusetts border, and then north all the way to Canada. Well, how many VAs are there in in New York State? There are nine VAs in New York State, one in okay. Buffalo, one in Syracuse. There's one in Canandaigua, our facility. There's one at Castle Point uh, on the Hudson, and then there are a number in the New York City metro area. We are part of a what is called a VISN, a Veterans Integrated Service Network, which is uh, one of the administrative subdivisions of the VA. We are VISN 2, and we also include, in addition to the hospitals and facilities I just mentioned, the VA hospital in West Orange, New Jersey. Okay, great. So um, do you have anything to add to our conversation before we we close? Well, I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and with your audience today. I'm very proud of the care that the VA provides. The VA is uh, committed to excellent medical care, and by any measure that has been looked at nationally, the VA provides care that is comparable to or better than anything available elsewhere in healthcare in America. I'm very proud to be a part of that, and I look forward to serving the veterans in that capacity for a long time. Thank you. You have been listening to Dr. Richard Howard, and he's with uh, the VA administration here in in Albany, and I'm Cynthia Pooler. This is Focus on Albany, and if you like the show, follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. Thank you, Dr. Howard. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great day. Thank you very much.